0: tough congressional look at the budding Space Force and an experienced hand chosen to lead Air Force acquisition. Two of the top stories on Defense Front this week. Most urgent, perhaps, though, is something of a budget crisis for the National Guard. For more, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Scott Mossioni. And Scott, we'll start with you. The National Guard has looks like a half billion dollar hole it's in as a result of the Capitol Hill protection ensuing from January 6th. This budget they spent is more than just on that day alone, isn't it? Tell us what's going on.
1: Yeah, this storm has been something that's been brewing for quite a while now. And uh, the National Guard has been warning about it. And Congress has been trying to fix it. And they've been trying to do it in multiple ways with standalone bills, with bills that are in more omnibus sort of fashions. And then also the Defense Department's been trying to do With reprogramming. However, it just has not gotten through Congress. And now, if the National Guard does not get its funding by the end of this month in July, then it's looking like they're going to have to start stopping. Uh, some of the work that they're they're doing and that, that work, I mean, by doing drills, they're going to lose maybe two months of drill pay uh, for people, they're going to not have to do some of the flying hours. And then obviously, this has a trickle down effect in terms of troops and their families are going to start incurring debt to the government because of life insurance and TRICARE insurance uh, that gets taken out of their military pay. National Guards have those, you know, deductions for blended retirement systems, which means that they're not going to be able to put that money into the retirement system that they thought that they would would before, and uh, you know, this can continue to cascade as things go longer and longer. Uh, right now, we have these. Uh, we, we've seen that uh, Defense One reported that General Hokinson, who is the National Guard Bureau Chief, sent a memo to the heads of the Air and National, the Air and Army National Guards, ordering them to pull back all unspent federal funds from the states so that they can just really remain solvent and uh, keep doing really just the mission that they want.
0: The response that they had to the insurrection at the Capitol, then it went beyond that day
1: it ended up being about five months and those five months of just guarding the capital looking into threats that were coming in all those sorts of things and there were threats that they had to stop you know after the the january 6th attack we've now seen that this ended up causing a lot of money and this this is something that the national guard it comes at a year when the national guard had more troops deployed than any other time since world war ii you have to remember they were right. working on covid civil unrest uh, this this uh, january 6th insurrection and then all the regular things that they do wildfires hurricanes and everything else in between
0: Plus, they're getting increasing demand for cybersecurity remediation from state and local governments.
1: That's right. And even space as well. So they really call themselves the Swiss Army knife of the military. And they certainly showed that this year.
0: So they're looking for reprogramming if they have to, which is still a big budget shortfall, or ideally they would like an additional supplemental appropriation to cover that. Is that what they're hoping for most?
1: Exactly. And we saw one of those pass the house. It was a $3.7 billion, really national security sort of thing that would protect the capital it had to do with the investigation into the January 6th attacks as well. That ended up not making it into the Senate. There's also a standalone bill that comes from representatives Wambach and Calvert that we don't really know what it will turn into. However, there's large support for it. And then we have Senator Leahy, one of the chairs of the Senate Appropriations Committee, has put his bill in, another one of these more omnibus sort of bills around this as well. So plenty of opportunities for it. It's just a matter of getting it done before the August recess, and there's a lot of other things that. Congress has on its plate until then.
0: Sure. And also speaking of Congress, Scott, you are reporting that there is a pretty tough critique of the Space Force now in its mere 18th month. What is the issue?
1: If you remember back to why the Space Force was being created, it was because the Space Forces and the space acquisition and everything else around the organization around space within the military was very decentralized. Now this military branch, which was created to centralize these sorts of things, is in its 18th month of existence. And the Congress is saying, where's the beef, if you'll excuse the old phrase. Um, They they really want to know what is going on and why they haven't seen the centralized, especially when it comes to acquisition. Now, one of the things that they're trying to create with this and what is legally supposed to be created by October 2022 is in space acquisition and integration office. And that is something that has not been created yet. However, Congress is looking at this and saying, all right, we need this before." Uh, next october because this is something that as the space force is growing and creating more of a presence it needs something more centralized to get this acquisition moving and going faster especially now that space systems command is starting to set up which is in charge of the acquisition and fielding of space equipment
0: and that's a good transition to jared serbu who is writing about an acquisition pick for the air force and some other holes in dod nominees jared what's the latest there
2: The latest is that Andrew Hunter, who is now at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, is going to be nominated to be the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Acquisition Technology and Logistics. Andrew's name should be very familiar to our listeners and readers. He's quoted fairly often as a sort of acquisition analyst in many of our stories and many other news outlet stories. He has uh, experience in the Pentagon and in the Capitol Hill on acquisition issues. Most recently, he worked in the Pentagon as Chief of Staff under Frank Kendall, when Frank Kendall was the undersecretary. Secretary of Defense for Acquisition Technology and Logistics. And now, Frank Kendall has been nominated to be the Secretary of the Air Force. So they would be working together once again. Uh, I say would because uh, we're still waiting on a confirmation for both Mr. Kendall and a bunch of other DOD nominees. The Biden administration, as far as the Defense Department goes, has been relatively slow getting some of its sort of lower tier nominees through the Senate and even just nominated. Frankly, they were pretty quick getting a secretary and a deputy secretary confirmed. But as of now, the acquisition positions throughout the department are pretty thinly staffed. The service acquisition executives for the Army, Navy, and Air Force are currently all led by career civilian officials. So is the Under Secretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment. There really are no Senate-confirmed officials serving in acquisition positions right now uh, in, in
0: July, which is fairly shocking. Yeah, I guess it's easy to run uphill about a quarter of the way, and that's where the administrations start to slow down a little bit. And also, Jared, I wanted to ask you about the cooperation agreement between the Department of Defense and Homeland Security on cybersecurity. And that's something of a stall too.
2: Yeah, this is some uh, an observation by the Defense Department's Inspector General. We don't have the full details on what their concerns are because part of the original report was classified and we've really only seen a redacted version. But their concern is that the most recent joint agreement between DOD and DHS as far as how to cooperate together on cybersecurity is not being implemented the way it was written. It, it, that, that agreement specifically called for the, the two departments via a joint steering committee to develop milestones and plans of action for how they would implement uh, several several different lines of effort that were specifically called out, and that really has not been done, according to the Defense Department's Inspector General. For DoD's part, they say that this was really just supposed to be an informal agreement to promote engagement and define areas of common interest. But as the IG points out, that's not what the agreement said, and they really need to formalize some of these structures. And, instead of depending on Informal uh, activities that are that are kind of worked out at the senior leader level because those leaders, of course, can and do change.
0: And this as the cyber situation itself becomes more dire, and there is more use, as we mentioned earlier, of the National Guard at the state and local level for cyber, so it would seem like something they do need to up their game on.
2: Yeah, that's right, and and we may find out more about what these concerns actually are between the two departments, because this was a joint audit between the DOD Inspector General and the DHS Inspector General. We've only seen the DOD side of things so far. A DHS version of this report is still forthcoming.
0: Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and and Scott Massioni, their latest DOD reporter's notebook now online at federalnewsnetwork.com.
3: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. And during his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me.